0: All right, so some of the stories in the Bible are really disturbing. If you've ever read the Bible, you probably know that you, you read certain passages and you're just like, ooh, that's, that's a little disturbing, that's, that's a little unsettling. Uh, and sometimes as a preacher, I am tempted to skip sections that are disturbing or unsettling because, well, you know, you don't want to unsettle people that often. But I wouldn't be a very good preacher if I skipped a passage in the Bible just because it was a little disturbing or a little unsettling. There are reasons to skip a passage if it doesn't fit with what you're doing, but just the fact that it makes me uncomfortable isn't a good reason. So I was tempted this week to just pass over this particular passage in Acts and, and not talk about it and keep everything happy and nice. But you know, after talking about it, and praying about it, I said, you know what? It's in there, uh, and it's in there for a reason, so we're just we're going to talk about it. Uh, so I'm going to do something a little different this time. Usually, I, I don't read the whole passage at once. I, I read a little bit, and I explain what's going on. But uh, for effect this week, I'm going to just read the passage in its entirety, and we're just going to let it sit for a second. Um, and to set the stage, we're going to start off by reading last week's passage as well. We're going we're to see everything was going really well in the church, and then as we're going to see, something happened. So... Uh, Here we go. We're going to start in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and we're just going to read through uh, a few verses into Acts chapter 5. Here's how Luke tells the story. He says, All the believers were of one heart, or were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Everything is just going great in the church. All the needs are met. There's no needed people. Everybody is on mission. They're all in. Things are going really well. And then we get to Acts chapter 5, and we see that there is trouble in paradise Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out. And buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she says, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her her dead, carried her and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So, with that being said, let's pass the plates one more time, and you're all dismissed. Just kidding. It's an uncomfortable story, right? If you feel a little unsettled after reading that, that's the point. You should feel a little unsettled after reading that story. There's no question that what's going on here is a story of divine judgments on this couple. Uh, it's absolutely a story of divine judgment. Now, what I want to be clear about, nowhere in the text does it say that God killed Ananias and Sapphira. It doesn't say that God killed them, but it's definitely a sign of judgment. One of my favorite theologians, his name is Greg Boyd, he explains it from his perspective. Not that God killed them, but that God withdrew his blessing and protection from them and just allowed sin to run its course in real time. That the reason that we're all able to live is because God has given us his protection. And sometimes when we act in certain ways, God has no choice but to withdraw his blessing and protection from our life and let sin run its course. And that's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 5. As we read this story, it, those of you who have read through uh, the Old Testament, this, there's reminiscence of stories in the Old Testament where people who disobey God for various reasons end up facing the judgment of God and facing swift destruction. This is a reminder that within the community of faith, that, that disobedience to God's command, that, that not honoring God's instructions is dangerous, that, that, that sin has consequences. So I figure we just ought to come right out and ought to deal with the question probably all of you are asking, which is this, what's the point of this story? What's the point of this story? And I want to be very clear right up front, the point of this story uh, is not to scare you into giving more to the church. OK, the point of the story is not to scare you into giving more to the church. OK, I, when you go out to lunch today and you're talking with your friends and the family, you're like, what did you learn at church? I don't want to hear anybody saying, pastor said, if we don't sell all we have and give to the church, God's going to kill us. OK, that's not the message. The, the message is not give everything you have to the church or you're going to die. OK, that's not that's not the point of the story here. Um, So to get to the point, I want to back up just a little bit, and we'll take a closer, in-depth look at what is going on in this story. So we're going to go back to the beginning of the passage, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what Luke writes. You can hear it again. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property... With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, if this was all we had about this story, we might assume that their mistake, that their error was in keeping part of the money for themselves. We might think that their sin was the fact that they didn't give everything to the church. If this was all that we had, and we compared it with Acts chapter 4. Uh, But... Thankfully, we have more to the story, and the next verse clarifies what actually happened. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept back for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And then Peter clarifies. He says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? The point that Peter is trying to make is that the giving of the proceeds was voluntary. The point of the story is not that Ananias, Ananias, I keep saying Ananias, I'm combining their names together, uh, Ananias Ananias and Sapphira, uh, the point of the story is not that they kept back some of the money for themselves. The point of the story, their error in the story was the fact that they lied about how much they got. They tried to make it look like they were all in when they really weren't. They tried to pretend like they were doing what everybody else was doing. They they put on a false front. They put on a show. They were being deceptive about what they had done. The problem was the lying. In other words, what Peter was saying is, is nobody forced you to sell this piece of land. It wasn't a requirement to be a part of the community. You didn't have to sell everything. And, and what even once you sold it, you weren't required to give 100%. 100% participation was not the requirement for being a part of the community of Jesus' followers in the first century. Now, the, the previous passage tells us that's what everybody else was doing. They were so committed to the mission that they were voluntarily selling their houses and their lands and giving all of the proceeds over because they believed in what was going on, because they believed in the mission, because they believed that Jesus would be coming back and that they couldn't take their possessions with them anyway. And so they were doing it, but they were doing it voluntarily. That's what Peter's getting at here. This wasn't like, it it wasn't like one of those communes where you have to sign over everything you have before you'll be accepted. That's not what was going on. And Peter makes it very clear. He says, you owned it. It was in your property. We didn't require you to sell it. And once you sold it, you didn't have to give us everything. You could have said, hey, we sold this piece of land and we're going to give you half. And if you would have been upfront and honest about it, everything would have been fine. Peter says, the problem is that you lied. The problem is that you pretended like you were were all in. You pretended like you were committed to the mission. You pretended like you were doing what everybody else was doing when you really weren't. You you lied in this community of faith. And and by lying to us, you haven't just lied to us, Peter says, but you have lied to God. Well, Peter says is is this community is so important that, that honesty And upfrontness is important. That there's no room for dishonesty and deception or pretension in this community. And when you lie to us, Peter says, you're you're not just lying to us, but you're really lying to God. And by the way, God knows. God knows your heart. God knows my heart. God knows when I'm putting on a front. God knows when I'm pretending to be something that I'm not or someone that I'm not. We can't we can't pull the wool over God's eyes. And so so the message Peter's saying listen it's this was this was within your power but you have satan has filled your heart and this indicates that there was there was a pattern of of deception going on here they were pretending to be something they weren't in this community and it shows that there are there are consequences to that there are consequences to putting on a front and being dishonest about who we are and what we're trying to do peter says being up front is what's most important here and then peter asks the question he says what made you think of doing such a thing what made you think of doing such a thing? And actually, I think I can understand this. I actually, I think I, think I can understand what's going on in the mind of Ananias and Sapphira. I, you know, this, is, this isn't in the text, right? This is my, my best guess, so this, you take it for what it is. But this is what I think is going on in their minds when they're thinking this through. They're, they're a part of this community, and they want to be. They, they don't feel like they have to be. They, they want to be a part of this community. And they want to be involved in what's going on, but they're also wrestling with some things they're they're not sure they're quite ready to commit at the same level that everybody else is committing at but they but they still want to be a part of it and, and they like what's happening and so in their minds there's maybe some maybe some selfishness or maybe there's some fear like you know, if we sell everything, what if something happens, right? What if one of us gets sick or, or gets in a car accident? Or, you know, obviously they didn't think car accident, but I'm, you know, imposing back on the text. You know, get, gets in a carriage accident, um, a chariot, gets in a chariot accident. Um, you know, what, what happens if, you know, if, if there's a flood or a fire? And so maybe there's a little bit of fear inside of them, a little bit of, you know, w- w- we want to be a part of this, but we're, we're just not quite sure that we can commit at that level. But then I think they experienced what a lot of us tend to experience from time to time in different situations. They started thinking, well, gosh, but but what are other people going to think of us if we don't give it all? Everybody else is, is giving it all. And, and are they are they going to think that we're not as that we're not as committed? Are they going to think that that we're not as good of Jesus followers? Or, or maybe they're thinking, you know, we, we, we want people to think that we're all in too. And so they, you know, and I think. In different situations, we all have a tendency to do that. If we're around a certain group of people and a certain activity is the norm, we, I think it's natural for us to to sometimes pretend like we're a part of that group. Like, you know, has people ever, th- those of you who aren't sports fans, when people start talking about sports, do you, like, pretend like you know what's going on? Like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just, you know, you pretend like you're a part of the group or... You know, if somebody's talking about cars, you pretend like you know something about cars or or music or whatever. We, we want to feel included. We want to feel a part of the group. And so sometimes we put on a front um, and, we, and we pretend like we're something that we're not. Or we we, we pretend to like we're something that we even want to be, right? We, we know that the right thing to do, or, or for them, that they know that the best thing to do for them was to be all in. They, they know that that's what everybody else was doing and it was meeting their needs. And so they wanted to, but they couldn't bring themselves there yet. And so instead of being honest and upfront about where they were, they pretended. They put forth a front. This is, this is what happens. And I think... That happens to us. We, we feel scared, we feel selfish, we want people to think that we're, we're spiritual, we want people to think that we're knowledgeable, we want people to think that we're mature, and so sometimes we just pretend to be something that we're not. And I think, if we're honest, I think this happens in church a lot. In lots of different ways, right? I mean, I think sometimes, you know, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but have been fighting in the car on the way to church. And then, you know, you and your spouse, you're fighting in the car on the way to church, and then you get here, how, fine, we're, we're good, everything's great, right? We pretend like there's nothing going on in our life because we have to put on our best, you know, front, our best face for church people. How often do we feel like we can't just be ourselves in the midst of church, like we have to pretend like we've got everything together among everybody else. And, and, and then you realize that everybody else does that too. And sometimes I feel like Sunday morning can be the most fake hour of the week. Because none of us want to say, you know what, I've had a really hard week. You know what, I'm really struggling with this idea. You know what, it, 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 uh, You know things, things may, aren't, aren't great at home right now. And I think sometimes what what we need, and this is why I think small groups are so important. I'm going to go ahead and just plug those again right now um, because I want you to be a part of them. I think in small groups sometimes, in that environment, it it opens us up a little bit to be a little bit more honest and be a little bit more vulnerable. As as we get together in in smaller circles, we can say, you know what, here's what I'm really struggling with. Here's what's going on in my life. And, And when we do that, then we can come alongside and walk with each other. But, but when we gather together, we're like, oh yeah, things are great, I'm fine, when we're really drowning on the inside, right? And that's not what church is supposed to be like. I think sometimes we do that too when we, you know, we think about, well, we really want to be a church that's on mission. We really want to, to do what's necessary to reach our community, but gosh, the cost of doing that is kind of, it's a little steep. So, so we we put on a front, and we say, "Yeah, we're we're really we're really concerned about mission." But then, when it comes time to maybe, you know, give a little bit more or or support something new, we you know, in the secrecy of our pocketbooks or the secrecy of our ballot, we we do something different, and and we we vote against either with our checkbook or with our votes or, or with our actions against what we have said that we wanted to do and what we want to be. Uh, so this is, you know, what. Let me say this up front. This is an extreme example. Okay? I don't want anybody here to think like, oh my God, like I you know, I, I better open up my checkbook now or God is gonna strike me dead. Okay, this this is the only time in the New Testament anything like this has ever happened. So I don't want you walking around in fear that God is going to strike you dead over, you know, if, if this is pricking you in the heart over something in your life, I don't want you to, like, walk around in fear like you're going to drop down dead, okay? This, this is the only time that's ever happened in the New Testament. I don't know of any other time that's ever happened. So, again, this is, this is for our learning. We're looking at a very extreme example. But the principle holds. The principle holds that if we put forth a, a front, if we put forth... Uh, um, uh, a version of ourselves that isn't entirely true. There are consequences to that. Usually, it's not this extreme, right? But sometimes the consequences we we go through things alone that we don't have to go through alone. We go through our lives. That's right. Sometimes the consequence is that, you know, we, there, there ends up being division in the church. Sometimes the consequence is there ends up, we end up not being as effective as we want to be, or, or we miss out on some of God's blessings because we're, we're not willing to, to just be honest about where we are in the moment. One of the other things I think that is important about this message, and the thing that is, is so, I'm going to use this word um, cautiously, but I, I think it's true, so demonic about what happens here. And I I can use demonic because Peter says that Satan filled their hearts to do this. And this is what it was. Peter, when talking to Sapphira, he says, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? And and the the Greek word here that's translated conspire uh, is the Greek word sumphoneo. Sumphoneo. It's the very same word that we get our English word symphony. Symphony. It comes from the, this prefix s-u-n and then the, the word phoneo or phony. It's where we get. So it means to sound together. It, it, it's, if you go to a symphony, a symphony is so powerful because you have all of these different voices, instruments, who are sounding together to make a whole. There's, there's agreement and there's unity. And so what Peter's getting at here, he's saying, what, what's so bad about this is not that you just decided to do this. That's bad that you decided individually to, to put on a false front and to lie. But that you agreed together to do this. That's what Peter's saying. You conspired. You agreed together. And when you take this passage and you contrast it with the passage immediately before that, it says the rest of the church was one heart and one mind. They were, they were in unity, in agreement to move in a certain direction. And here you have the complete antithesis, the complete opposite of that, where they were in agreement together to do something different. Oh, there, if you want to see that, conspire equals symphoneo. They, they symphonize together. Peter's saying, your unity together against what we're trying to do here is demonic. That's what Peter tells them. Uh, The rest of the church unified in mission, this couple unified against it to, to test the spirit of God. This is what's so bad about what's going on here. So, to get back to the question that we were asking, what is the point? The point is, they pretended to be all in for the mission when they were secretly conspiring against it. They pretended to be all in. They pretended to say, you know what? We're all about this. We, we want to be a part of what's going on here. We're just like everybody else. We, here we are. We're all in just like all of you. When in secretly, they were, they were conspiring against it. And this brought division in the church. And it introduced the hand of Satan into the middle of the church. What, what Peter is saying here is that dishonesty in the community is dishonesty towards God. When we're dishonest with one another... That's bad enough, right? Relationships are built on trust. We we want to be open and honest with each other. But but if we're dishonest with one another, we're also dishonest to God. That within this community, how we treat one another is indicative of of how we feel about God. What Peter's saying here is it's better to be honest about where we really are than to pretend to be somewhere that we're not. It's better to, to... be honest about where we really are than pretend to be where we're not. And so, in lots of different areas. This means, what, stop, to, to use the language of the kids these days, or maybe the kids when I was growing up, stop fronting, right? Stop putting on a, 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 a mask, of, of what, whether it's spirituality, right? If you're, if, if you're struggling with your faith and your spirituality, don't pretend. Don't pretend like you've got it all together. If you're, if you're struggling at home and things aren't good, don't pretend like they are. Come together and let the community... that Ananias and Sapphira would have been welcomed by the community. I really believe they would have said, you know what, we're just not ready yet. We're just not ready to take that step just yet. And I think they would said, okay, you know what, come along. We'll take whatever you're willing to give. It was the fact that they pretended to be somewhere that they weren't that caused the problems. When it, comes to, when it comes to church and, and where we want to go as a church, instead of pretending like, hey, we're, we're all in on mission, let's say, you know what? I don't know if I'm there yet. I tell you what, as your pastor, I would be much happier if you said, you know what, pastor? The things that you're saying are just too much for me right now. I just don't know if I'm ready for us to take that radical leap of faith. Rather than saying uh, outwardly, you know, yeah, mission, let's do what we need to do. And then inwardly you're like, eh, eh you know, I don't. Just, just be honest. There's no shame in, 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 in doubt. There's no shame. The, the, the shame comes with the dishonesty. The shame comes with, lying, with the lying, with the pretending that we're something that we're not. So, so I said this already, but I want to repeat it. The point of this is not to scare you into giving more to the church or, or to scare you into thinking that if, you know, if you're not completely honest, well, then God is going to strike you dead. Uh, that's not the point. The point is that I, I want you to understand how seriously God takes dishonesty in the community. Right? That's why we believe the Holy Spirit inspired this story to be recorded in Scripture. Right? And, and for the other reason, right? we look back and it looks like the church had everything going well. The early church had problems too. The early church had problems too. So that, that you know, in one sense, should give us comfort if we have you know, disagreements among one another. We're not alone. Right? But the point is, is, is how we deal with those disagreements and how we deal with, with those problems is of utmost importance. And the community, Jesus said this uh, in his ministry. He said, a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. The quickest way to derail a mission, to derail an organization, is to foster division. Nothing stops the mission faster than division. And so division happens when we, one of the ways it happens is when we put on one face and then secretly do something else behind the scenes. When we pretend to be something that we're not. And so what we're we're called to do in this passage is to trust one another enough to be open and honest with one another about everything. But especially, we're talking about mission. When it comes to mission, I, I, I I want you to take some time this week. And I want you to really be honest with yourself about what kind of church you want this church to be? What kind of church do you want this church to be? Because this is it, right? This uh, the, the church is more than just the people who stand on stage and sing and and, and preach. Uh, the church is more than just the steering committee that meets to make certain decisions. It, it's our church. and And I don't want to try to 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 lead us to be a church that the rest of the church doesn't want to be. And so what I want us to do over the next few weeks and the next few months is to really determine what kind of church we want to be. I want us to ask the question, what kind of impact do we want to leave? And I want us to be really honest with ourselves about it. And that starts with each of us being really honest individually. What What kind of Jesus follower do I want to be? What kind of legacy do I want to leave as a Jesus follower? What kind of legacy do I want to leave as a church, as Stony Brook? When people talk about Stony Brook 20, 30, 50 years from now, what kind of story do we want them to tell? We have to decide on that individually. And then if we decide as individuals that we want to be the kind of church that had the kind of impact that the early church had, then we're going to need to do some things to make some sacrifices to move us in that direction. If we don't want to, then we need to be honest about that too. Now, I've been pretty clear about this. I've been pretty clear that I don't want to lead a church that just wants to maintain the status quo. I don't want to lead a church that just wants to do what it does for the sake of doing it, not have any real impact in the community. But what's worse than than that, uh, what's worse than being a church that maintains the status quo is being a church that pretends like it wants to do something different while maintaining the status quo underneath. And and we're going to have an opportunity to do this in in the coming months, to really decide what kind of church we want to be. And, and what I want, my prayer for the church, is that we become really, really honest, gut-level honest, about what kind of impact we really want to have. And maybe that maybe that ends up being something like, you know what? We're kind of happy the way things are. And if that's where we are, it's better to be honest about that than it is to say we want things to be different, but then fight every step of the way to get there. Because at the end of the day, if I have a vision for the church that doesn't match your vision for yourself, then you're going to end up resenting me because I'm going to keep trying to push for things that you say you want, you really don't want. Uh, and, and you're going to end up resenting me and I'm going to end up resenting you. It, it, where is, if we just say, hey, you know what? Here's all my cards on the table. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I'm okay with. Here's where I'm struggling a little bit. And maybe even say, you know what, I want to be all in, but I don't know if I'm ready yet. That's okay, too. Say, you know what, I, 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 I want to be that kind of church, but, but maybe we just need to go a little slower. <laughs> maybe we just need to take this, you know, sort of one step at a time um, and get there. In order for us to become unified and to stay unified and have, have, have this commitment, we've got to be honest with each other. So pray about it this week. And ask yourself, what kind of Christian do I really want to be? How important? (laughs) You know, we all know the Sunday school answer of how important our faith is supposed to be, right? God first. That's the Sunday school answer. But I want you to be honest with yourself. In my own life, where does following Jesus rank in my priorities? And then what does that look like? And again... This is You don't have to share this with another soul, but I want you to be gut-level honest with yourself. And say, in the overall scheme of life, how important is the mission of God to me? How important is it to me that I'm a part of a church that makes a generational impact in my community? And if it's not that important to you, then say that. There, believe it or not, there are churches out there who say, you know what? We like what we're doing. We're going to keep doing what we're doing until the money runs out. And we'll let other churches carry on the mission. There are churches who do that. And I think that churches who are honest about that are in a better position than churches who pretend to be something that they're not. Uh, and then are, are frustrated the entire way. So let's, let's take some time as individuals and as a congregation. And let's get honest about the kind of, the kind of Christians we want to be. The kind of church we want to be. And let's make a commitment to ourselves and to one another that no matter what, we're going to be honest. That no matter what, we're just going to be upfront. We're going to say, you know what? Pastor, I don't like that. Thomas, that's too much for me. Or, ah, oh, gosh, that sounds really good. I just don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Right? Let's commit that we're going to be open and honest to one another. And I'll be open and honest with you in the process. And as we do that, I think we'll, we'll, we'll grow closer together. The thing that builds trust is openness and vulnerability and honesty. And there's no relationship without trust. Right? If I pretend to be somebody that I'm not at home, I don't have a, a real trust-based relationship with my wife. It, it takes, And sometimes that honesty leads to conflict. Sometimes honesty leads to conflict. But dealing with conflict is always better than avoiding conflict. We, sometimes I think we think that Avoiding conflict is maintaining unity, but that's not true. Real unity comes through the, the addressing and the dealing with conflict. It deals with conflict, what we call management or conflict resolution. Right? Uh, in in um, organizational settings, they, they talk about this. When, when groups come together for the first time, there's, there's a series of, of events that happen. There's, there's the forming a group comes together and they're formed. A new group is formed. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in a church. And a new group is formed. And then when this new group comes together, not everybody's on the same page. There's a period of turmoil. And there's a period of, of butting heads. And this is called storming. And that's normal. When, when groups come together, there's, there's storming. They storm. They fight. Uh, there's, there's, sometimes there's power struggles. Sometimes there's, there's disagreements. There's conflict. But in order for the group to become effective, they have to go through the storming stage. And I, if, I'm, if I'm being honest, right, we're talking about being honest, I'm rambling a little bit today, but that's okay. Sometimes I go short. Um, if I'm being honest, I think the past few months, maybe even the past two years, we've been going, going through this forming and storming phase. And, you know, and, and we, we've had some, some headbuttings in, in some things, and we're trying to figure out. And so uh, after storming, though, comes norming. There's forming, storming, and then norming. And then once there's norming, once we come together, once we sort of iron out the kinks, then we become a cohesive group. The the team becomes cohesive. And then there's performing. And then after the storming and after the norming, there's performing. And then the team can go. So we don't need to be afraid of the conflict. The worst thing we can do, if we're ever going to become a team, a church that performs the way that God wants to perform, we have to get to the point where we're honest with one another and we share where we are. Don't worry. None of you are going to drop dead, okay? None of you are going to drop dead if you come and you say, you know what, I, 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 maybe I haven't been totally upfront. But if you haven't, just between you and God, I want you this week to admit that. In the heart of your hearts, in the privacy of your house, I want you to say, you know what, God, maybe I haven't been entirely honest. Maybe I haven't been up front. Uh, th- this is where I want to be, God but I'm just not there yet. What you've called me to do, it's a little much for me right now, God. I promise you, God is going to take that honesty and that confession, and it's going to go so much farther for you than pretending ever will. So my prayer for us as individuals, my prayer for us as a community, is that we would get gut-level honest with ourselves, with God, and with one another, and that God would reveal to us what kind of Christians and what kind of church we really want to be. My my prayer is that this would be a place where we can be real and authentic, and that pretension can just fall by the wayside, and that we can come and know that if we have struggles, we can admit our struggles and not be judged for it. That, that if, if things aren't going okay, that if we're fighting in the car, we don't need to put on happy faces when we get here. I mean, I don't want you to fight while I'm preaching, okay? I mean, that's, you know, but we, we, don't have to, we don't have to put on happy faces and pretend like everything's okay. But this is the place where we can be open and honest with one another about what it is that we're going through and where we want to go. And if, if, if we get there, if we get to that point, that's good. That's really good. And if, if, we never, if we never get to the point that we're the kind of church that they were in the, in the book of Acts, but we get to the point where we're honest with one another, I think we have made some really big strides. And I think we've gotten to a really good place, and we've improved our health. So anyway, I've, I've rambled on about that enough. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. So I'm going to pray, uh, and I'm going to invite Mandy and Austin up here to lead us in some singing. Lord, we, we thank you for recording this story in Scripture as uncomfortable as it makes it, uh, as unsettling as it is, as disturbing as it is. Father, we thank you for letting us know how seriously you take dishonesty within your community. So Father, help us to take the step of courage to be honest first with ourselves. Help us to take a look in the mirror and really evaluate where our priorities are. To to not just deceive ourselves and one another if our priorities aren't where they should be. And and help us to look at that honestly. And if we need to make changes, then then give us the courage to make changes. But help us to be honest about where we are. in our faith with you and our commitment to the church and with whatever it is. Father, free us from the trap of self-deception then help us to be honest with you, God. Help us to remember that you are a loving, forgiving God. That as we, that you have promised in Scripture that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, you're not this angry tyrant that we need to be afraid of, but you, you crave our honesty and our openness, and you'll reward us for that. Father, help us to be honest with one another. Help us to shed these shells of pretension that we sometimes feel like we need to wear in church. This, this notion, this demonic notion that we need to pretend like we've got it all together. Help us just to be honest. And may our honesty and our, and our vulnerability be, be assigned to someone else that they can be honest too. Father, I pray that you would continue to bring us together as a community. Pray that you would continue to help us find a, a unity a, a, and a clear picture of who you're calling us to be and who we want to be. Father, and I pray for this mission that you've called us to. I pray that you would continue to, to just draw our hearts to this mission, that you would continue to give us your eyes for this community, that you would help us to get to the place in our own lives where we really are committed with everything that we have, to seeing your mission come to pass, that, we, that we're so consumed with this idea that, that those who don't know you can get to know you, that, that the freedom and the love and the abundance that you provide, that you would just help us become all in. But God, help us to not pretend that we are if we're not. Father, I pray for this, this church. I pray for all of the individuals. I just pray that you'd be with them, that they would experience your grace in a unique way this week, that they would experience your presence in a unique way this week, that they would come to trust you enough to be vulnerable with you and honest with you about where they are. I pray for that for me and my family as well. Father, as we go into this week, give us your strength, give us your peace, give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.